Hello, it's Shahid here and welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. Uh, just to let you know, our award show is open and early bird deadline is Friday the 9th of February. Full rundown of all dates can be found on our website. Uh, final submission for all talent and diversity fund pitches is Wednesday the 31st of January. So if you have an idea of how to get more underrepresented talent into the communications industry, please just send us in your ideas. Full details can easily be found on our site. Uh, every entry into our show is a chance to not only change your own life, but to change somebody else's as well. Uh, if you would like a shout out on any of these podcast episodes, whether it be for open roles in your agency or production services, or even if you're out of work and you just want to let people know where to find you, uh, just email us at awards at creativefloor.com. This is part two of Forecast 24. So if you haven't heard part one, just go back an episode. Lots here on culture, AI, talent. And uh, this was a really enjoyable episode and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, I always make sure they understand that I'm just down the corridor. And just like when I had my previous job, I made myself available 24-7 because if I couldn't, if I wasn't available to my creative directors around the world when they needed me, um, then I was useless to them. So, and although that made, you know, for you know, three o'clock in the morning phone calls, that's fine. Um, but that was part of the deal that I made with myself. And that's the same way I treat these, pe- these uh, six people who um, are mainly overseas um, in, in very different time zones and in different cultural companies. So when they talk to me about, uh, and it's not like I'm sitting next to them on a couch and telling me, you know, so how are you feeling? It's none of that at all. It's, this is an ongoing conversation throughout the week. Um, and I, made, and I, man, I sort of mandate that we do that. They can't just be sessions where, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I've got to speak to Jeremy, because that's, that's shit. A good friend is always there when you need them. And if it's just for a five-minute chat over a coffee or an hour-long conversation, that's the value of it. So when when the conversation starts, it's usually working off the back of something that's already been discussed. I don't have any um, rigid formats to work to. I don't have any um, agendas and boxes to tick. So the conversation will probably be following on from an issue that happened or a frustration that's brewing. And none of it's new. None of it is new um, because I've pretty much come across all of it in my previous role, which is probably why I find it very easy to do remotely and to have that conversation, whether it be on a Zoom or just in a normal phone call. Um, but you end up having, I guess, one, they're not, they're not um, teacher-servant. They're very much friend to friend. And I, and I prefer that because... I'm also learning as the conversation is unfolding. But what, I, what I'm giving back is an objective uh, point of view or some wisdom based on experience and always, always um, supported by an example. So I guess if your question is, how am I dealing with, with mentoring people like this? I'm dealing with it as if I was with them just down the corridor or they were in another part of the building and it's a phone call. Does that answer the question? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's answering the question. 
yeah it's it's just a perspective really because i think there are many people who are kind of you know got big fancy titles they might not necessarily have the sort of face-to-face support that maybe we all would have experienced covid wasn't a thing and okay for example there, there are two people who are very senior creative directors let's just say they're in the states and um both of those people were hired by quite famous um, superiors. Neither of them were um, briefed with a goal or a vision. Neither of them were asked for their perspective on how they're going to manage their creative uh, roles in their departments. And these are big departments. These are you know, 200 people. Um, and what they're falling across is um, performance reviews. The process from HR uh, coming in and giving them a performance review on how people are viewing their their performance in the company. Suddenly they're realising they're on a shrinking iceberg and there is no way off it. And unless they learn to steer the iceberg or co-join it with another and make a larger one or swim, like fuck, swim, um, they're realising they're being set up. And this is going to be something they're that's going to sidetrack them. So now they're paranoid. Now they're incredibly insecure. Their decision makings are clouded because they're not sure if they're supposed to be being the maverick that the agencies love us to be. Actually, what we want you to do is just get the work out, get it done, and make sure we win a good percentage of the of the pitches. There is no um, in these two people's lives. There is no sense of culture and camaraderie. It's it's fighting. For, I do a talk. I used to do a talk in Cannes, fighting for your creative life. They are literally fighting for their creative roles within the jobs they've been given. And I do believe a lot of these people are hired because somebody else is trying to find a solution to a problem they've gotten and they think they've dealt with it by hiring someone. What they've done is put their head in the guillotine and turn their back on the, on the rope that's holding that blade there. It's just a matter of time before it falls. And it's a horrible feeling to have. We've all been there. And it's a cultural thing. And it's something that um, if you don't have a leader protecting you or someone supporting you, that sense of isolation, that sense of isolation turns into desperation. And that becomes the reason why you fail. And so we often hear about creative people being given a big role and six months later they've gone. Or they've been demoted, demoralized. They've been destroyed. Or they were shit yet to get rid of them. And that's the kind of language that we're so used to um, that I I hear it now, not just inside where I used to be, but from the industry and others, um, that language is still there because it gets back to the inability of someone to hire properly, right? If the person doing the hiring really understood what they were doing, they would, they would hire a whole lot better. People don't hire good people to surround themselves. They hire people to cover their asses and get things done so that they look good in the position they're in facing upwards. If you see what you're getting yourself into, Frank, um, <laughs> you, you sure you still want to come back? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, listening, listening, listening to all that um, from Jeremy, I mean, who wouldn't be inspired by Jeremy? The great thing, and listen, Jeremy, he's human. And he's incredibly empathetic because he talks from the heart. He makes sense, but he's talking from the heart. And this is what's important. And I think it's one of the things that's missing in advertising, especially with the big corporations. You know, I spent years working with Omnicom, for instance. And, you know, we, we joined Omnicom to get bigger, to have a global reach, 
but Paving Waters had a had a culture. And I remember hiring people at, at Paving Waters, and you were it was almost like asking, inviting good people to come and join a club, almost a, a kindred spirit, you know, and you, you judge people on basically creatives. I, I would judge creatives on on their potential and their ability and and to build them in an environment that they could they could get inspired and start producing award winning work in those days. Okay, I'm talking a little bit in the past now, back back to the nineties and noughties. But for me it was it was really important that people joined the culture and 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 that in itself. But but listening um to what Jeremy's saying um about kids coming in and having a really senior job but without a rudder it's almost like well there you go <laughs> um you take control and on your head be it if anything goes wrong that's sort of not it's not honest is it it's not empathetic and it doesn't inspire people so yeah i think you're doing a great job jeremy i love listening to the way you talk <laughs> I think, no i do I, th- I think it's great and it, and and I'm I'm an old bugger that's been around for years. Imagine if you're you're in your twenties and you're coming into the into pharmacoms uh, or healthcare advertising, and you listen to those points of view. I think it's because you talk from the heart, Jeremy, and it's it's believe you know it's an there's an honesty to it. It doesn't sound like corporate spiel, and I'll be honest with you, I've never heard you speak corporate spiel, Jeremy, which is great. Good on you. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, totally. Do you think that's the issue that we've currently got as an industry with all the things that you mentioned, Jeremy, the isolation, the desperation, the lack of human touch, lack of vision, etc. It basically all ladders up to the culture. Like there is all the agency cultures that did exist maybe pre-COVID are kind of all burnt down to the ground. I think there's a lot of hope. And I think the, there are really two, there's three really interesting examples. <clears throat> you have one of the most experienced and awarded creators stepping back into a leadership role in Frank. That's going to be fucking amazing. Anybody working under that umbrella is so privileged. You have Selwyn, who's literally got in his culture what he loved about what he got into this business for and why he stayed. Because he loved it so much, he went off and built his own. And he's he's indoctrinating a whole generation with that love and attention and um, passion for the craft and with a modern twist. So he's, you know, he's not being, he's not being the dinosaur. And then there's, there's um, aid who's working remotely, the rope, but the remote Institute, if you like, or the new remote way of working isn't scary. It's how you make that work for yourself and how the company helps people working in this environment, grow, develop, flourish and produce in that environment because that environment and I also work for another company who who have that as their footprint and it is it takes some takes some getting used to but once you're in it and again I was isolated for five years on an island of you know so shout up Jeremy that's where you sat on that island you end up doing things your way and you end up working a certain way and finding strengths to do things differently. And that's what that remote platform is all about. So there really is, there is good news. My question will be is how awake 
are the leaders of these companies to the environments that they're stimulating or running? Are they really seriously in love with the business or is it the bottom line? Because the bottom line's been there since the first Cro-Magnon drew a thumbnail and called that an ad, right? The bottom line's always been the reason why, but it's how you drew it, the way you drew it, what you did it for, and what you got well known for doing. So I would say, are the leaders today really leaders or are they just representatives? My gut feeling is, from what I see, there is a handful of really good agencies out there. Now, I'll go to one in particular that I... I uh, have a, I, I linked in it. I, I watch what they do. I love what they're doing. It's not anything wildly new. It's just refreshing. And that's mischief from No Fixed Address out in New York. Those guys are going against the current trend of big corporate and they're doing things their way in their tone of voice, fully driven by all the analytics, etc., of, of, of uh, information and data with creative solutions driven behind it. Well, that happens because three partners realise what the strengths are, talent, people and culture. And if you can't work here and be happy, there's a problem. If you can't do great work here with these kind of people, there's a problem. And the clients that we don't want are the clients that aren't with us because they've chosen the ones they want to do great work with. So for me, that's that's a, a shining start. So if anybody's out there listening, go and look at that agency and tell me that you're not inspired by what they do, what they did last year at the um, the Super Bowl, and what they're currently doing this year. And in four years, they've gone from independent, startup, national, international, global, agency of the year, from campaign, et cetera, et cetera. So I believe the industry is does have its moments and points of light. It gets back down, and that's why I'm using mischief as an example, to the leadership these guys could have gone off and created sweat houses, created another Canva, make shitloads of money, and her life is good. Instead, what they've done is, as leaders, created an environment for creativity, smart people, analytics, contemporary technology, and clever, like-minded, forward-thinking clients. And isn't that what Saatchi did back in its day? Isn't that what BBH did? Isn't that what all the agencies that we refer to and look at in the DNA and D? In their domain, in their media, in the print form, in billboard and television, that's what they were doing. So things really haven't changed much, but the thing that's suffering is quality leadership. And I think you've got, I've got, you've got three guys in the room, four guys, including you, Shahid, who are industry leaders and are driving it because of culture, empathy, understanding, and a passion. And the passion is to do great solutions and have fun doing it. And that word fun is a word you can't use too much because it suggests that uh, you're taking the piss. But I'll just say this, I'll just say this. Ten years ago, you couldn't say mental health and be taken seriously. You wouldn't use the word kindness and you certainly wouldn't have the word empathy sitting in there. Nowadays, these are strength words, these are power words, these are words that characterise a company's culture. Thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, Boom CGI. Uh, they're a team of digital artists specializing in the craft of CGI animation across entertainment, advertising, and of course, pharma. The team love nothing more than taking ideas from concept through to completion. They are highly skilled in delivering character design, CGI modeling, texturing, animation, and post-production and are huge, huge supporters of the Creative Floor Awards. So do check them out at boomcgi.com.
yeah, well, well put. And you're absolutely right to talk about the old DDB days and, and you know, those halcyon days of years ago. But I'm just wondering, might it be, I'm just throwing this to the floor, um, might it be harder to do that in health comms because of the restrictions, limitations and everything else? It's an open question. It's not, I, I'm, I'm saying that to actually give people out there listening to this, working in, in health comms, um, you know, can can they trailblaze? Is there an opportunity to do that in in health? It's a rhetorical sort of question I'm asking you because obviously at Paley Waters we did break the mold a little bit and we worked in a very different way, which attracted people that wanted to follow and work in that different way. They didn't want to do farmer ads anymore. They want to do consumer ads for the farmer industry. That's the simple way of looking at what we did. But what about today, though, Jeremy? How does how are how are agencies enabled to 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 become like mischief, a trailblazer in in, right. in the farmer world? Well, I'll say yes, there is because if there's a will, there's a way, and if there's passion involved, it usually gets through. It won't be for every farmer client, but it's not the same for every consumer client. Not every consumer client can be that brave because they're all you know hamstrung by mediocrity and management. So if there's a group out there, and I'm sure there are, and there are clients out there, and there's a body of work that's going to become the new norm, I think it's going to become more, I hate using this word because it's such a cliche term, storytelling. But I think we'll find healthcare doing more and more film work, um, film where farmer are involved in creating, I hate to say this again, a Netflix, but a series of films creating a story around something that's becoming more and more relevant every day. And they're the things that we hate taking our drugs for, mental health, depression, um, suicidal thoughts, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff used to be taboo because no one really wanted to talk about it. Today, it's our everyday yes. conversation. Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, there's a pharma company out here called, um, I think it's called Woke Pharma. And they deal specifically in the hallucinogenic properties of medicinal medication for Parkinson's, for, um, uh, I guess, autistic and particularly people suffering dementia. But just the term, woke pharma, what the fuck is that? This is <laughs> pharmacology. This is a modern millennial term being used to describe big pharma and a specialist area in big pharma. I predict in Big Pharma you'll be seeing a massive twist and a great massive turn in how pharmacology begins to see its role in people's everyday. We're already seeing it in um, marijuana and the hallucinogenics taken out and while the oils are used. That's a massive step. We know the breweries have been having marijuana plants inside the hops for years because they knew something was, going to, was coming along. We know the cigarette companies have been playing that game for a long time because there's big money in it. Now there's massive money in it. Well, with that comes an attitude and an ability for a communications partner. I wouldn't call it ad agencies anymore. I think they need to be relationship partnerships with um, like-minded um, partners who need solutions and a partnership that can get them there. Um, that's that's my feeling anyway. I don't I don't look at the industry anymore and go, oh, that's healthcare or that's pharma, and draw a line between the two of it, because as we've evolved and as, for example, COVID has pushed people to refer, particularly politicians, 
oh, I listened to God told me to do this. That's usually the scapegoat for anything in the US. The legals used to say, well, you know, this is what the, this is what the medical practitioners recommend. Well, since COVID came along, the buzzword is, I follow the science. Now we fucker is a science expert. Brilliant. Because science doesn't talk about prevention. Science talks about prediction. It can see it coming. It can tell you it's nearly here. They've been talking about for climate change for fucking yonks. They were telling us about COVID and all the... Look at Contagion, the film. A brilliant film. It's almost like it was made smack in the middle of COVID. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. But that level of content is becoming more and more relevant to consumer every day. Now, is that is that healthcare? Is that wellness? Yeah, it is. It's big pharma having a role in average Joe's lives every day. And I think that's where the, the spin is. That's where the role is. And that's where PR has a bigger role. Advertising is becoming more and more insignificant. The term advertising has to reinvent itself. Why do you think consultancies like Ernst & Young and Pricewaterhouse went out and bought all the agencies? So that when they go into a big corporation, do the audit, do the audit and say, well, there's our $10 million bill. Here are the 10 big problems. You've got half a billion dollars worth of issues here. But good news is we've got some great specialist communications partners in-house to deal with this. Advertising agencies are trying to become more and more consultancy because they're looking for another way to earn their buck. And what suffered? The creative solutions suffered. What was most important? The money. So if the question is, can they do it in healthcare? I would say, yes, they can, because we're already seeing a new generation, particularly of pharma, coming to the market with a very different attitude for um, preventative and healthcare solutions. Jesus, I hate my voice. <laughs> Great stuff. Good. I think culture is at the heart of all of this. And I would say, you know, to your point, Frank, culture is more than just the work, though, isn't it? I mean, great work comes from a great culture. But culture, I think, in my perspective, is a collective consciousness that you have. It's like your secret source, right? And we've all heard the same bullshit scripts that all agencies spout out, right, about, you know, it's all about the work, it's all about doing X, Y, and Z. But in truth, it only ever appears and lives in an agency or an individual's worst moments, in my experience, right? You're going through a bad financial patch, a bad culture will go through redundancies. You know, I've been in agencies where we've, you know, had, we've hit a bit of a road bump rather than making redundancies. We've all agreed as an, as a management team that we'd all take a pay cut or, you know, there'd be no bonuses just so we could get the next six months without losing anyone or, you know, having to sack a client because they're making everyone's life completely miserable and destroying the fabric of what you tried to build. You know, people who have just got that got that dreaded phone call from a loved one who's now just been rushed to hospital, you know, dropping everything, driving them directly home or to the hospital or somebody, someone's sick, you know, making sure that we send them food for the week so they don't have to worry about any of that sort of stuff. That for me has always been the most important thing about building a culture. And I think what we've lost and the things that maybe we're trying to sort of warn for the next 12 months is I believe that in most agencies that's gone away and that's led to the isolation, that's led to all these all these awful things happening. Am I right? Am I wrong? And aid, how are you navigating a culture when you're working 100% remotely? 
Um, yeah, it's a really good question. And um... That's the end of this episode. You will want to hear the answer to that and get even more gems on the next episode. Uh, do hit subscribe wherever you listen to these podcasts to make sure you don't miss the next part as soon as it drops. Until the next time, goodbye.